1: tests, diarrhea, hair thinning, or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. Just give me all a heads up, that this is a continuation of last week's episode. My guest decided to come back and share her story on her experience in psych wars. So I really do hope that y'all enjoyed this week's episode. Until next time, PHGs, later.
0: Welcome. You are now, now. listening to
1: the professional professional, professional. Personal homegirls, it's the kid Ebony from the PHG Podcast, the only place where you will hear interviews from black women anonymously on stories that would enlighten and expand on taboo topics. Now, if you hear someone that sounds familiar, mind the business that pays you, child. If you like the PHG Podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Please, five star reviews only. Hold me down, don't hold me up. Merch is now available on the site as well as my book list, so please make sure you visit the link in the show notes below. You can connect with the kid on Instagram at the professional homegirl and at the PhD podcast. If you are on Twitter, please follow me at the PhD podcast. Now, if you are all caught up with episodes, listen to the bonus episodes by supporting the PhD podcast Patreon account. To support, please visit www.patreon.com forward slash the PHG podcast. Now, please keep in mind that all of my guests are anonymous. So let's begin this week's episode. So one of my favorite guests came back to the show. I was just giving her some loving y'all <laughs> <laughs> to share her story on her stay at psych wars. So to my guests, how are you doing? How are you feeling? I'm doing good. Feeling good. Feeling great. You know? <laughs> okay. Holly black and Blessing favor. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how was your Thanksgiving?
0: My Thanksgiving was as good as it could be. Um, You know, speaking of, you know, mental health uh, experiences, I'm dealing with a a family member who's going through some dementia and some other um, mood disorders. So we spent some time with them on Thanksgiving and it ended up being better than I expected, but it was still, you know, uh, it was still um, something to work through, you know, as someone who has been through mental health issues and is seeing someone that I'm very close to go through those issues as well. So, you know, it was, it was an experience, but I'm really glad that I had that time with them. Mm
1: -hmm. Can it be triggering for you to be around people who might be experiencing that? Um,
0: triggering in the respect that, um, it just kind of takes me back to like, when I was going through that stuff and, you know, me being like, wow is that what I'm like when I'm manic right is this what I'm like you know so it does make me think a lot about that but as far as like making me like sending me into an episode myself I haven't had that experience
1: how are they doing now um you know they're
0: doing as well as possible they're um they have 24 7 care in a nursing facility so That's thankfully cool. they are taken care of you know they don't have anything to really worry about but um you know they they just want their independence they want to go home and things like that but this is just the the best thing for them right now so you know always praying for them and always hoping that you know they will come out on the other side and be um you know more present mentally but Mm -hmm. you know they're kind of up there in age so it might just kind of be is what it is but yeah that's how that's going thank you for asking
1: of course. No. Um, my grandmother had Alzheimer's and dementia and mm-hmm. it's not easy.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's really difficult. It's yeah. it's really difficult to to not only go through um go through seeing what they're going through, like experiencing them in that state, but also, you know, like the level of responsibility that comes with it, you know. Oh, it's a lot. Um, yeah, it really is. And I don't think people really understand that. Um, mm-hmm. especially when you have a smaller family. Mm -hmm. and you know you don't really have um people that you can depend on um it really and this is ultimately why um this family member is in a nursing facility because you know we it's it's literally me and my sister like it's just me and her and we both like I'm you know writing books and doing podcasts and stuff and my sister has a full-time job where she goes into the office so it's just not possible for us but you know we're doing the best that we can with what we have
1: Right. No, I totally mm-hmm. get it. Being a caregiver uh, is mm-hmm. not easy. And then sometimes when you put your loved one in, in a nursing facility, I like, you kind of feel kind of bad. in mm-hmm. a sense. So I totally understand where you're going for. I'm definitely send us some love and light your way. Thank you. Thank and you, you so love much. Yeah. Course. Thank you. Now, we, before we get into your story, we got to do a little history lesson. <laughs> So for those of y'all that didn't know this, our girl, the United States of America, has such a deep, brutal history of flawed psych wars, mental hospitals, and asylums. In addition, President John F. Kennedy passed the Deinstitutionalization Act in 1963. And President Ronald Reagan, I know you're shaking your head, right? <laughs> oh, well, I'm you're telling me some stuff I didn't know. So yeah, I'm learning. And pri- President Ronald Reagan made it his mission to shut down mental health facilities Despite being shot by a man who had mental illness. So to my guests, why do you think America, after all these years, still has a hard time grasping the fact that mental illness is a real thing and should be treated properly? Wow. Oof. Um, so no, I thought that my... was crazy when I when I read that.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like I said, some of that I didn't know. So, you know, thank you for informing me. But um, you know, as far as how this country handles and deals with mental illness specifically, not just like mental health, self-care, but like mental illness is very flawed. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and this is coming from someone who has been hospitalized slash been in psych wards uh, four times. Um, And, you know, it's, it's really, I just saw um, an article in the New York times recently about Eric Adams, um, essentially saying that people who appear to be mentally ill will be involuntarily hospitalized Mm. or, you know, whatever, whatever needs to be done with them, whether it's putting them in jail, basically they're cleaning the streets of New York city um, and making sure that there are no quote unquote mentally ill people um, in public, you know, and to me that just says a lot about where we are in, in the mental health conversation, the mental health actions, And, um, you know, the practicality of what we're doing there, there is no solution that is perfect, obviously, but Mm. I think at this point we are at a, we are at a stage where we're just doing the same thing we've been doing, you know, it's like, you know, just put them away, just keep them out of sight, just make them invisible. Like nobody, I made a TikTok about this recently, um, that nobody really wants to see, or hear from somebody who is disabled somebody who is mentally ill until they're normal and ready to positively contribute to society. Like that's just the way this country is set up. We're all about capitalism. Go, go, go. Can you make me money or not? Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: if you have no capability of performing those tasks and those duties, as far as like being a cog in the wheel of society, then people don't really know what to do with you. And, you know, just like from my own experiences, of, you know, seeing people who, who likely were, you know, houseless, you know, and we're just kind of like picked up and plopped in this hospital for X amount of days or X amount of weeks. And it's like, is this a solution or is this a band aid And I think that's kind of what we're dealing with as a society is we're putting band-aids over gaping wounds. And we're not really coming to terms with the fact that our current system, like I said earlier, is deeply flawed.
1: Right. And you made a good point about being homeless because due to these two um laws that were passed, a lot of people became homeless, which also increased incarceration. Mm-hmm. So, you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it's just like, and I don't want to be assuming anything. And I know mental illness is, doesn't have a race, mm-hmm. but I feel like mental illness is very, um very uh, prevalent in our community. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this was a way for them to like,
0: hurt us. <laughs> no, for real. Right? You know, it's like, when you look at, um. okay, so when I was in the facilities that I was in, mostly black and brown people. Um, it's and like, yeah. Exactly. I was just going to say that it's like, it. it's deeply reflective. Of how we treat people of color in this country, black people yeah. specifically. It's like if we don't know what to do with you, if you're not, again, as I said, positively contributing to society as we know it, right. we're gonna get rid of you one way or another. We're gonna stash you in a hospital or we're gonna stash you in a jail or a prison, worse. So yeah, it's really um it's really sad because you know, I do like we all have, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, we all have someone that we know in our immediate family or our extended family or friends of the family who are, you know, Oh, that's my crazy uncle June bug, you know, like, Oh, yeah. you know, he don't mean no harm or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but like, is he getting help? And if so, like, is it, is it a proper help or is he just being institutionalized? Mm-hmm. So that's something that I feel very strongly about. And yeah, it's, it's just, it's just very reflective and indicative of the way that we treat black people And people of color in this country is just, can you do something for me? No. Okay, well, I'll figure out what to do with you. And it won't be a good thing. Man, that's so damn scary. (laughs)
1: Ain't it? Ain't it? Ain't it,
0: right? Yeah.
1: Oh, my God. So in our last conversation, I asked you about your thoughts on mental health and bipolar. But what were your thoughts on psych wars and hospitals before you were hospitalized? Oh, wow. So I actually,
0: um, I had my first experience with a mental health facility when I was around eight years old. Mm. So yeah, I, I haven't talked about it that much, but it's, um, you know, it was a situation where I, I don't remember, I remember like little bits and pieces, but I don't remember exactly what led up to the moment of my family being like, we got to get her some help. But as the story goes, like I tried to break into my older brother's room with a butter butter knife and harm him with it. And they were like, whoa, what's going on? She's never done anything like this before. So they, you know, made the decision to send me to a hospital and it was maybe like 30 to 45 minutes away from my hometown. And yeah, it was, um, I was only there for about a week. I remember it was around my sister's birthday because at eight years the, old. Yeah. Yeah. I was there for about a week at eight years old. And, you know, it was, it was more of a place for people with various disorders. It wasn't just like mental illness specifically. Like I remember somebody had a skin disorder. Um, Somebody had um, like a missing limb or something like that. So it was like people who were dealing with various stages of like not abnormality that's the way that society sees it but just like different ways of living right so um, yes I was there and it was incredibly scary for me because I had never been away from home that long and you know it was just it was just a very um, unusual thing for me to experience at eight years old so after getting out of there after the week that I was there um, I had, you know, just a different understanding of life, you know, it was like people go through things, people have to get help and then they they get out of it and then they, you know, move on to move on to other things in life. So I had a pretty early um, experience that kind of affected the way that I saw mental health facilities and psych wards and things like that. But yeah, I still didn't really have like a real grasp on like the adult you know, facility, because the one that I went to obviously was like maybe teens and under. Right. So, you know, being in an adult facility was a completely separate experience. I wasn't expecting you to say that. Yeah, <laughs> it it was definitely, um, it was definitely a, an eye-opening thing for my whole family. You know, it was, it was something that nobody saw coming, you know, and that's typically how it is for, for all mental health, um, crises is people don't see it coming. You know, it's like right. even though there may be a buildup, or like before I had my first episode. Um, my sister was like, I could tell something was off. I just didn't know what it was. So, you know, even with when people have that innate, like, gut feeling, like, yo, something's off. And even my friends were like, we're concerned about your mental health. Like, you don't usually talk like this. You're not very, like, spiritual and God-fearing every single moment of every single day. Right. So, which is the main facet of my episodes. So, yeah, you know, it's it, it was... Um, the one the experience that i had when i was 8 versus the one that i had when i was 26 27 my first major episode they were very different um because at 8 i was more so i guess like I guess I was psychotic at that time or experiencing psychosis, but it was a different kind of psychosis. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like whenever I experienced psychosis now, it's like, you know, all hell Jesus, you know, let's, right. let's get ourselves together. The world is ending. We got to, we got to go, right. you know, and that was not the case when I was eight. It was very different. So yeah, it's, it's super interesting how, How even just growing and adapting to life can transform the way that you experience something.
1: Yeah. Being that you're a little bit older now, Mm -hmm. do you agree with what your parents did to you at eight? Do you think that would have been the best option or do you think there could have been different things they could have done? Yeah. That's, I've never thought about that. Um, You know, it's kind of young to send a child away. You know what I'm saying? Like,
0: yeah, absolutely. And, Yeah, it's, it's just really strange because, um, like the facility that I was at, um, like my grandmother has been there in recent years, like it's still open. So, um, you know, it's still very much functioning and everything, but as far as the decision that was made when I was eight, um, yeah, I, I guess, you know, they didn't know what else to do, you know, they didn't want me to hurt anybody or myself. So they were just kind of like, let's, you know, see what's going on. Maybe a doctor can tell us like what she's exhibiting, et cetera. And yeah, I just kind of rolled with it, you know, right. as, as an adolescent, you know, I did the best that I could with what I had. But yeah, I don't disagree with what they did. It was It was mainly my mom. My father wasn't around and my grandma, I think, was living with us at that time. So I think the two of them kind of put their heads together and decided what they were going to do. Right. But, you know, it was it was a decision that I'm sure they didn't make lightly. And it didn't, you know, like I think after I got out of that facility, they put me on some kind of medication. And I don't remember what it was, but it wasn't very long before my mom was like, she's not going to be on this anymore. And then for the next like two decades, I was just like living life, didn't have a care in the world, you know, excelling at school and, you know, activities and stuff like that. Like I was always a very, like a go-getter kind of person. Uh So yeah, it didn't really have like a profound effect on me in that respect. But yeah, I don't know. I think, like I said, I think they made the best decision that they could at that time.
1: Right. Do you feel like the media hurts or helps the perceptions of hospitals or psych wars? Because we do know that there were hospitals that were doing insane, inhumane things to their patients. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, So on the one hand, you have like (laughs) your, um, what is it called? One flew over the cuckoo's nest, you know, that movie. Yeah. Uh it I didn't watch it for I watched it for the first time maybe a year ago and I was like oh my god like it was crazy it was crazy Crazy. yeah so um that movie shows like American Horror Story um things like that um I feel are both representative but also exaggerative and you know it's like at some especially maybe you know in like the 60s 70s 80s things like that I feel like Certain facilities probably were doing a bunch of dirty shit and not really being the best places for people who need help. right. And I feel like that's still the case today in some places. Like, you know, of the four places that I stayed um for mental health treatment, I would say that two like two out of the four, I would like never, ever, 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 ever set foot in those places again. like just outright terrible places mostly terrible people how is what possible possible?
1: (laughs) i mean i i know it's possible but i just don't understand how is i mean it's the government but (laughs) yeah yeah how you allowing these facilities to treat people this way like Mm -hmm, even when i was preparing for our conversation and i was just doing research on because you know american horror story they Mm -hmm. do exaggerate some things but it does come from somewhere and yeah yeah and I was just doing research stuff and I was like my god like this is crazy Mm -hmm.
0: yeah yeah it's yeah just to kind of like touch a little bit on like one of my experiences it was actually the first hospital that I was in in the Bronx and it was just it was just shitty, you know. I'm not I'm just gonna be up front, you know. It was not a good place for anybody to be, especially because, um, and yeah, the other place that I mentioned as well, they were like doing construction like while we were there, and it was like, Why are we here? Like there are all these particles flying around, there's all this noise, like it just didn't make any sense. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And this was like pre COVID. So it wasn't like people weren't really thinking about illness in that and to that much degree. But now it's like, I think they're a little bit more careful. Maybe I haven't been hospitalized since 2019, which was obviously before everything broke out. But yeah, to um, go back to my first experience, it was, um it was just not well kept. Number one, it was, you know, um, overcrowded the Mm -hmm. people who worked there were overworked and yeah they just did not pay close attention to us it was and when they did it was like insofar as they didn't want us like making bonds with each other like they didn't want us to really get to know each other as patients um you know it was it was a very isolating place and like I said it was it was relatively disgusting just to be there um, when my brother and sister picked me up, um, they flew from Texas to the Bronx to come get me. And they were just like, I can't believe you were there. Like, I'm so sorry that you spent all that time there. The friends that I had in New York at that time, they visited me and they were just like, we felt so bad. Like we didn't want to visit you because we just felt terrible about the conditions of the place that you were in.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
0: um, you know, it was, it was not a good place
1: to be. And yeah. My, I'm not to cut you off my mouth would have been so slick I was like yeah so if you if you can not come visit imagine how I feel living here <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, yeah yeah for real and I was there for five weeks you know That's- it was yeah, like come on now it was a minute and like you know one one of those friends visited me I think one time and the other visited me twice
1: oh and my then like the,
0: yeah and then the guy that I was dating who like was you know I was staying with him and then I went missing um, which I think we talked about in our initial conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, he visited, he lived like right up the street and he visited me maybe three or four times Mm, in five weeks, just like a nigga, yet again. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah. So, um, yeah, it was, it was really lonely. And on top of that, it was really difficult to, to contact my family, um, because they had this ridiculous system where you had to like get like a code and then you would have to take it to a nurse and then the nurse would have to like dial in her station and then you'd go to a pay phone type of situation and then you could dial out but like of course I was like manic for most of that stay so I couldn't really like my mind was like okay there's trickery afoot you know like I got to do this and this and this this right. can't be the way my family so um you know and then when my family did call me they would tell them that I was asleep or that I was you know in a meeting or in something like that and then it was just like very difficult to communicate with my family and I feel like when I especially with my sister when I talk to her that's when I come back to myself the quickest so it was just I don't want to say it was like an elaborate scheme to keep people there longer but I wouldn't be surprised if it was I'll just say that Mm -hmm.
1: So, you know what, I want to ask you this question because, you know, living in New York City and you've been in New York City for quite some time Mm -hmm. and especially since the the pandemic happened, like it has gotten very dangerous Mm -hmm. outside. And so what do you think that the city should do for those? Because you don't, I don't agree with involuntarily doing something against somebody's will, but you do Mm want to give them support and give them what Mm -hmm. they need the proper way. So what do you recommend that the city do in, in that case? Yeah,
0: I mean, it's it's a big task, but really just like getting people off the streets permanently, you know, like not just temporarily in terms of making sure that they're because like the thing about this new agenda from Eric Adams is he is enforcing or allowing the police to enforce their own, you know, um, mechanisms Mm. to get people off the street even if they're not harming anybody else. Cause that's like the main reason why I was picked up by the police in 2016 is because they thought that I was a harm to myself and to other people. So, you know, they're saying like, if you're exhibiting any kind of symptom that is not normal, quote unquote, we can pick you up and take you somewhere.
1: Mm. So
0: that's what I have issue with because anybody could be having a bad day, and, you know, just like go off or be crying or, you know, people cry on the train. I cried on the train so many times, you know, and it's like, does that make me emotionally unstable? (laughs) (laughs) I'd be so
1: stressed out. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. So to answer your question, um, I feel like, you know, the main thing is to just give these people real long-term support. Right. And, I feel like for some reason, that's the one thing that they can't get a grip on. Um, and it doesn't just have to be like, well, you know, give them a, an apartment for a year for free or whatever. It's like, what are meaningful, like actual practical things that we can right. do to help people? And just based on the way that this whole country is set up, it's not kind to people who don't have money. Right. and. You know, even people who are like, I want to work, but people look at me and they they see a bum or they see a homeless person or whatever. And I'm a person too. I wanna, I wanna work, I wanna have things, I wanna have a nice, you know, living space and et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, just like helping people to like take those steps to get to that place, I think is the most important thing that could be done.
1: And I think ever since our last conversation, I often think about those individuals who were wrongfully hospitalized. Because they are having a bad day. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, wow, like that is so scary. It is. It's it's frightening, yeah. you know, it's it's sick. Um,
0: You know, not to like get on a soapbox about it, but I'm just like, where would I be? I mean, I'm grateful for the, my trajectory and everything that has happened in my life. I'm very blessed and I'm very grateful. But, you know, I do wonder like if we had different kinds of systems set up, mm-hmm. if we had people who, we're not afraid to just sit with a person who's going through a mental health crisis for a day or two days or three days or a week or whatever, or change those people out or anything like that. Instead of just being like, okay, we're going to put you in this hospital. We're going to sedate you, which has happened to me more than once because they didn't know what to do with me. So they're just like, we're going to shut her up and sit her down. So it's like, instead of taking that course of action, why not like, be with somebody and ask them like why are you going through this crisis what do you think is going on if they can't yeah talk to them and that's a big big thing about like my experiences with mental health is or mental health crises is there's not much talking you know like if I if I talk to anybody it's a psychiatrist and it's for five minutes tops and they ask me the general questions to kind of assess my mood or figure out like is she psychotic right now is she is she manic? Is she hypomanic? You know, whatever the case may be. It's not personal either. It's not, it's so impersonal. It's, Mm. you know, like I thought (laughs) foolish me. I thought that, you know, getting help for my mental health would encompass like talk therapy. You know, I thought that I was going to be able to talk to somebody about my issues, about my life crises or whatever, but it's really just about like, Okay, you want to try this med or this med? Like, you want an injection or do you want pills? Like, it's not really a conversation about how are you doing, you know? Like, what trauma are you working through? Because, like, when I had my first episode, I had been in therapy for some months, and I was really uncovering a lot of trauma and -hmm. discovering, like, why do I feel so strongly about like my mother's passing, even though she died like ten years ago at that point or something. So, you know, it was like I was uncovering all of these truths. And I finally sat down and was like, damn, like I'm still going through it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for me, it was like, I hit that breaking point of, you know, I am having a mental health crisis because I'm going through all of this uncovering of trauma and all of these situations and nobody, I'm almost certain that at that first hospital, nobody asked me like, have you been in therapy? You know, like, have you talked about your issues? Anything like that? It was just like, all right, she's walling out, let's sedate her. And then when she comes to, let's try to like figure out what kind of medication she wants to take. Does she have Medicaid? Does she have a way to pay for this day? You know, it was like, it was not about like me. It was about all the little tentacles around me that they could profit from.
1: Mm. Yeah. That is heartbreaking
0: yeah it really is,
1: yeah. and I just I don't know, because I feel like it's obvious of the things that need to be changed within these facilities. but like what do you think that will ever happen? Like a change will come? Um, if one does, it'll be a very
0: slow process. Um, I don't know what what it's going to take if it's like from a presidential level or a state level or you know, government, whatever. I don't know who is on top of making this change but there has to be like a very thorough sweeping across the board of like every facility has to be checked out. Every staff member who is on call for any given night has to be checked out to be sure that are you here for the right reasons? Are you just here to collect a check? Like, and that's the case for a lot of people who work in these facilities that I've experienced is they just want, they want the money or they want the proximity to, you know, like uh or I don't know how to explain it but basically they just want to live a good life and you know I've seen the cars that they drive my sister told me like every time she visited yeah every time she visited me in the the last hospital that I was in in October 2019 she was like I see the cars they drive they are not they ain't making chump change like it's not (laughs) and I don't know if this just (laughs) depends on where the where you're located or whatever right right even I remember like um, when the first hospital that I was in, um, you know, there was this guy that worked there and he had like his Audi keys. Like he was like about, to go Audi? yes,
1: Wow. Yes,
0: absolutely. So it's like, these people are not suffering for cash, but at the same time, they're not exactly there because they want to be there or they want to make a difference or they want to help. That's scary. Um, they were, it is. And there, I'm not going to say everybody because in each hospital, I feel there was at least one person that would that i could tell was there because it was in their heart to be there mm. but for the most part most of the staff that i dealt with like were sourpusses like they didn't want to fucking show up like they were just right. like i'm here cuz i have to be here you know and they they would give me attitude i'd give them attitude back you know so it was like it's just very clear that some of these people are not in it for the right reason so that's you know um. another thing that i would say would need to take place is just like an evaluation of the people who are signing up for these jobs.
1: Because then they have to be certified to be-
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I don't know much about how they do that, but yeah, like the people, like the nurses anyway, obviously have to be certified, but they have what they call techs, like T-E-C-H-S, like a- Mm -hmm. Like a a technician? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so they have techs and I don't think they have to be certified. If they do, it's like- probably a very easy process but the people that I have interacted with who are techs are just any motherfucker off the street you know it's just like people just yeah people just like you know and it's like they don't like some of the people and again I'm not trying to be generalizing here right but some of the people that I've dealt with like have egos and they go on power trips and they feel like because in these four walls or this hallway or whatever like they have power, they like to exert that power, and yeah, I had a situation where actually in two separate hospitals, um, I was like taken to the isolation room because I was being too rambunctious or whatever. That and was my question too about the isolation room. room. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the first time it happened was in 2017, and it was in this all women's, um, you know, facility. And there was this woman who I'm still friends with to this day. We actually um, keep in touch. We've like, we've gone to brunch. We've gone to concerts together. Nice.
1: Like,
0: yeah, it was, it, she's an amazing person. Shout out to her. But um, yeah, we, um, I was there and she was brought in and she was just crying and crying and crying and nobody was consoling her. Nobody was asking her what was up. Again, nobody really having that personable nature that you right. need to like work in a place like that. So I was like, why is nobody helping her? and somebody like a tech got my face, and he was like, you know, go in your room, like, this isn't concern you, and then I've, like, got in his face, and then, right, because, nigga, to you don't get in my face, nigga, yeah, <laughs> exactly, right. excuse the fuck out of me, so, yeah, I got right back in his face, and then he, like, took me to the ground, and dragged me to the isolation room, and I was only in there for maybe, like, 30 minutes or an hour, um, but, it was still like damn like it wasn't like your traditional padded room it right. was the the floors were definitely bouncier than your typical linoleum or whatever but it wasn't like you know the the white padding I wasn't in a straight jacket it wasn't anything like that it was just like okay girl you want to act up you're going to go in here for a bit right. so you know they locked the door and I remember being in there and wondering all these manic thoughts and you know, like maybe my identity changed. Maybe they don't know who I am, you know, like right. just random shit. So um, yeah, they finally let me out. And then her, she and I, uh, you know, started to like kind of talk a little bit. And, mm-hmm. you know, after we were released, we became friends and that's how that story went. So yeah. And then the latest time, the second time that I was in put in an isolation room, I was talking to my grandmother on the phone and I have a very complex relationship with her. And um I guess I was like not being kind to her. I was probably cussing her out for some shit she did decades ago. I don't know. Right. But um one of the texts was like, You can't talk to your grandma that way. And I was like, Who the fuck are you to tell hey, me? Maya, I'm talking Maya. to my yeah. Hey. So like I I hung up the phone and like he was just like telling me, you know, what I should not shouldn't be doing. And I was like, bro, if you don't, sh- if you don't shut up and get out of my face. And that's I guess you like, a bitch it. Ass nigga. it is every <laughs> time it's, it's, I feel like it's rarely the women who work in facilities who like want to act up because right. I guess it's because they know that like, we can actually fight, fight, but right. like, you know, but the men, for some reason, they're the ones who are like ready to like go. And that's so. That's it, it
1: is. Scary.
0: It, it very much is. So this particular tech, you know, he like grabbed me, put me in a chokehold, and like put, like you know, took me to the isolation room. And there was another male tech who was in there as well. And like they were just like trying to hold me down and like had me in the chokehold and shit. And I was like, I'm not trying to die up in here. So right. I just started sc- I just like trigger warning. I was just screaming rape, rape, rape because right. I was like, I'm getting out of this shit. I'm not about to be choked to death in no fucking hospital, right? And you so, um,
1: expects with two niggas in there.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, what am I supposed to do aside right. from get out of this situation? So the nurse who was on duty, like came running in because she heard me screaming. And then finally they were just like, okay, well, we'll get up, but you got to stay here for like a day I or bet. two. I bet. Yeah, they were, <laughs> right. they were not happy with me <laughs> at all. But yeah, so moving forward, me, like it was two, they were two black guys, two, the two texts. And one of them would try to like be friendly with me after that. And I was like, I have nothing to say to you. And the other one just like would give me my snacks and going about his business. So, you know, it was just like, it's such a weird dynamic of, you know, especially these people who don't have all the training in the world when
1: it comes to how to deal with mental health patients. But yeah, it's a trip. <laughs> wow. And then also you, I was reading your article and you were talking about the conditions of the hospital and mm-hmm. you were also talking about how you and your friend felt like y'all was eating dog food. Oh my God.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Oh my God. Yeah, so that was the first place. I know I'm like jumping from experience to experience, but it's all the same really. Right. But yeah, the first place and the second place, terrible food, it was awful. But the the last two places, not bad, you know? But um, the the first one, I literally would eat bread and drink milk. Like that's all I ate. And I lost so much weight. It was crazy. Oh. But um, yeah, it was just like, it was just, they. you could tell like some of the things they just like, like the snacks, they would have like PB&J sandwiches. And then you could like taste the freezer burn on it. You know, it was like, they were just doing whatever they wanted to do. And the actual meals were just like it just looked like slop. It was gross. And the guy that I became close to at that facility, mm-hmm. he's the one that was like, Yo, this is dog food. Fuck this. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my god, be quiet. Like, we have to eat this. And you know, he was like, No, we don't. We don't have to stay quiet in this bitch. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so yeah, he taught me a lot, but um, yeah, it was two of the four places, it was not a good experience with the food, but the other two places, it was like, it was
1: decent. Mm. And you also talked about the lack of hair products and I'm like, Oh wow. I didn't, you wouldn't even think about things like that, Mm -hmm. but that was so important, especially to women of color. Yes.
0: Yes, ma'am. Oh my God. It's so yeah. The first hospital, I was obviously not expecting to stay there. And, um, you know, like my hair was a mess when I got out and I ended up having to get like an undercut that I still have today. And that was like Mm -hmm. six years ago. So, um, yeah, it was just like, and I couldn't afford nice to like, um, she gets a, a lot of hair y'all <laughs>
1: okay,
0: it's nice and full, <laughs> tell is ponytail is ponytailing. Yes, it is my pup is puppet. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I didn't, at that point I couldn't afford to like go to a hair salon and have right. somebody tease out all those tangles. So I did the best I could. And then, um, my brother's friend just like cut up the back where I couldn't really detangle it. And yeah, the second experience, I just happened to get my hair flat out flat ironed um shortly before I was hospitalized. So I just kept it up in a bun and I didn't wash it for I think I was there for about a yeah, four weeks. I was there. So um that's how I did that. And then the third day, I had my hair in a natural puff and it was, it got a little tangled, you know, toward the end, but luckily I was able to afford a hairstylist or a salon visit. So I told them, you know, like, I just got out of the hospital, if you can help me. And they were very tender and caring. And then the last one, um, this black woman, actually, um, she saw me when I first came in and I had my hair in a natural puff again. And I guess she knew that I was going to be there for a minute. So mm-hmm. she just took the time to braid my hair for me, like in the hospital. Wow. And that was like one of the most touching things that anybody could have done. Because as you were saying, like the products are scarce as it is. Like some of the facilities, they just give you like body wash and say, wash your hair with this. And I'm like, you do not understand, like, that's not going to work for me. Right. So she, you know, she kind of understood that I needed some help in that moment. And she oh, just that sat me blessing. down. I know, I wish I knew her name. I wish I did, but I saw her toward the end of that stay. And I was like, and she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. How are you? You know, obviously I was doing better. Not quite a hundred percent, but I was better. And she was just like telling me like, you know, just focus on taking care of yourself and everything. And I just thanked her for what she did. So yeah, that's um, how that played out for
1: those four um, separate stays. Hmm. And during our last conversation, you shared your thoughts on being sedated. So I was doing some research on sedation and there are, are a lot of cases where patients were included in clinical trials and didn't know it. And some mm. institutions were not authorized to do so. Mm. So when you hear stories like this, how does that make you feel? Honestly, it doesn't surprise me.
0: It really okay. doesn't. It's it's fucking frustrating because that's bullshit. Like th- this is the thing about mental health and mental illness nobody knows the right answer you know nobody nobody has a magic pill nobody has a magic injection this shit is complicated and it's different for everybody it's a big guessing game it's all experimentation so when I hear something like that that hospitals and facilities and institutions are literally taking people like treating them like guinea pigs and being like oh let's see how this works on this person you know especially I'm sure they're doing it on black people people oh, you know they are child Exactly you know they are so <laughs> yeah it's just like it's extremely disheartening because it just takes away your your autonomy your agency and it doesn't they don't ask you like would you like to be a part of this trial Of course not like that's why they don't ask I'm
1: sure And but, you don't know the health effects it's going to have on you in the long run like that's the scary part Exactly My exactly God. it's really wild it's it's
0: You would think that in 2022, almost 2023 at this point, that we would have a better grip on how we treat people and how we construct these trials in order to like get better information about how a drug may or may not work. But we're still honestly stuck in some of those older eras where it's like, you know like the Tuskegee experiment, you know, like where they just like didn't tell people the truth or, you know, like it's just, it's just, it's not just like that because obviously that was completely awful and terrible and life-threatening, but we don't know
1: what- Right. Yeah,
0: exactly. We don't know what these drugs are going to do. Like we don't, like I was allergic to the first medication I ever got for my mental health and it mm-hmm. gave me like a full body rash and I was just dealing with it. And I didn't know, like I went to hospitals, doctors, like they were like, well, we can't do this until we have this person's approval. And then they would say, we can't do this without this person's approval. So I was just like, I was like, well, fuck it. I'm gonna stop taking the meds. And I did And then I ended up being hospitalized a second time. So, you know, like I said, it's just a big experiment. Nobody knows what the right or wrong answer is. It's just like, let's do this and hope for the best. Or let's do this and we'll just see what happens to this person. They might not even hope for the best.
1: Right. So what would you say would be an alternative for being sedated? Mm -hmm. Because I don't think sedation, that's just crazy to me. Yeah, like, be a different way for you to be able to calm somebody down. Exactly.
0: Um. Wow. What's an alternative? Um. I mean, you know, like I said, isolation rooms earlier. Um. They're not perfect, but it does give people a chance to kind of exhaust themselves to the right. point where they can naturally calm down
1: and, and be like, okay, remember,
0: <laughs> yeah, possibly remember, because there are so many weeks of my life that I don't remember because I was sedated. So, you know, it's just like, how can we do this in a humane way, you know? Right. And, you know, whether that be like, like I said earlier, having a, a designated person to sit down with folks and be like, what are you going through? What issues have you recently you know excavated from your past like what have you been through what are you going through what will you go through anything like that I feel would be more helpful than just injecting somebody and hoping they shut down
1: right and lobotomies oh my god yo that (sighs) I couldn't imagine me what that shit is crazy like how is that how how can you do that how can you perform that and the state is okay with that yeah it's
0: I don't girl it's it's a lot even just again talking about um, one flew over the cuckoos like that shit was wild but yeah lobotomies (laughs) it's like some horror movie shit you know it's like it doesn't make any sense um you might as well
1: just take me out (laughs) yeah exactly
0: exactly like I would rather not deal with the effects of something so severe like you want people to be sane, quote unquote that bad that you're willing to literally do that to someone and just like be like oh well we tried or you know what I mean it's like what the fuck it's crazy it's
1: really crazy oh my god so thanksgiving just passed a few weeks ago and I saw on one of your tiktok videos that you spent thanksgiving a few years ago doing one of your stays Mm. when you look back on how far you came how does it make you feel
0: man um it makes me feel very proud um you know I that was I remember that day um talking to my family and a couple of friends and over the phone and just being like I miss y'all wish I could spend time with y'all you know and it was just like damn I can't believe I'm in this bitch like again you know (laughs) so you know uh, granted it was a different facility but still like being like institutionalized remains the same across the board. But yeah, I'm very happy that, you know, even though my Thanksgiving was a bit on the complicated side, I was free, you know, and I was able to like spend it with my my sister and my loved one. Um and just, you know, be able to really appreciate what I have and how far I've come because it's been a journey. It has been one. It's always a journey, child. Ain't it? <laughs> every time, every, every time. Listen. Yeah, it's like, all right, I made it through that stage. Let's get to the next stage. And then you make it to the next stage. It's like, it's always something progressive, you know, hopefully progressive. So yeah, I'm very happy that I, you know, am now past three years of not having had an episode. So. I pray and I hope and I okay. wish that I continue see you on this path. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Um, you know, and that's that's the hope. Yes. And if someone is considering checking themselves in, what is some advice you would give to them? Research, where you're going. That's a fact. Um, yes, that's a,
0: the utmost importance. You have to figure out if you do feel like you need extended help, figure out, number one, is there a facility that is um, not a hospital? You know, like because I think of the three, three of the four places I stayed were psych wards in an overall hospital, and then one of them was like a facility facility that was specifically for mental health purposes. Mm-hmm. So that was my favorite one because they had the equipment, they had the space, they had mostly the staff that was willing to be there for that reason. Right. So. I really enjoyed, not enjoyed, but you know, that was the place that caused me Most the less free harm. Yeah, exactly. You know? Right. So um research where you're gonna go and, you know, figure out like does uh an inpatient ooh, <laughs> does an inpatient experience work for you? Because mm-hmm. some people may need outpatient help, you know, where you just like talk to a therapist or you um, consider going to to a psychiatrist for medication purposes, mm-hmm. anything like that. You can do in outpatient. But if you really think you need to be inpatient, research where you're going, and try to figure out like, are they going to hold you, you know, for longer than you anticipate? Because um, I had another person close to me earlier this year going through a crisis, and you know, we tried to find them help, and we couldn't find anywhere that wasn't going to like hold them for an extended amount of time. And they had to like, get, get things going. They're about to start a new you know position at work and they were just trying to get their head together. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we couldn't find any place like that. So, you know, if there are any kinds of facilities that are specifically for mental health, I would say opt for those, but if not, then at least research the hospital that has the psych wards or wings and figure out like, you know, would this be conducive to my health? Would this be a purposeful experience? Because sometimes they do more harm than good. So, you know, just make sure that the place you're going to is actually for the greater good. Yeah,
1: you better off just
0: being on the street trying to figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) And we know, we've already talked about that. So yeah, it's just, yeah. Some of these places are made for for the benefit of its patients. And some of these places are made for the benefit of the people who are making money. So, you know, you just got to be real smart and real intentional about how you go about finding the right place.
1: Right. And I'm just curious, does insurance take care of this? Yes.
0: Oh, so, I love- yeah. Insurance does Um to an extent. Like one of the places I stayed, it was like, <laughs> it was a crazy amount of money. It was like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I was like, I can't pay that, you know? Hey. So like insurance covered a portion portion of it. But then um, I was able to like get it down to like a thousand something dollars. So it really like, if if you're willing to like work with them, they can like help you figure out a payment system. But yeah, for the most part, it's not cheap to like be hospitalized. Um, I, I think one time or the first time, I think I was on Medicaid. Um, so that helped a lot but yeah it's it's not a cheap thing to do right yeah
1: well, as always I really appreciate speaking to you I can't believe an hour already flew by child I
0: know <laughs> I was
1: looking at the time like for real I know we both <laughs> look at the time like damn yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but man I feel like I just cannot wait for you to share more of your story because I know you have such an inspiring story just from you telling us about your experience at the age of eight. And I was like, wow, I wasn't even expecting that. So mm-hmm. I really look forward to your um your second book that's coming out. <laughs> Thank
0: you. Yeah, fingers crossed. That's like that's yes. the next on my to do list. I really want to write a memoir. So
1: you should, or you should Thank do like you. a pilot for a show or something. Exactly. Oh my god, I'm oh, so glad sorry, Listen, that. no more. <laughs> <laughs> so you already hey. book? Yeah. Because so. I just feel like we need a lot of representation when it comes to topics like this, and I think people really need to feel seen so they can know mm-hmm. that they will be okay. Because your story is just such a beautiful story thank you
0: I really appreciate that
1: of course of course and that's it y'all so if y'all have any questions comments or concerns please make sure to email me at hello at the phdpodcast.com and until next time everyone later bye (laughs) y'all and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home financing provided by victory mortgage llc nmls 461249 equal housing lender